Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. the last message in Revelation. I told somebody that last night. I said, hey, we've got the last message in Revelation, and I, I got to thank goodness. It's been a long time. Uh, we've been in the... Uh, so this is one of the longer series. It's been, uh, it's been uh, nine messages, and today uh, we're in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the very end of the Bible. This is how it all ends, guys. This is how it ends. This is what the whole story of the Bible has been leading up to. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, probably around first grade, I started riding the bus home from school. And uh, I grew up on in Indiana, central Indiana, and I, I lived on this long street that feel, felt like to me as a little kid, like it was a thousand miles long. And we lived at the very end of it. And, and uh, the name was Einza Court, uh, 5214 Einza Court was the address. And, and I would, it was off of kind of a main road and, and you would get off and then, uh, and then turn right down our street. And our house was all the way at the end of the street on the left in a, in a little circle down there. I around first grader, so I started taking the bus home from school, and the bus would drop us off, not at my house, at the end of the street. And so as this little kid with a backpack that's like three quarters of my size, you know, and my lunchbox full of half-eaten food, uh, and, uh, and, then, and they would drop us off there with maybe five or six other kids that lived on the street, and we would start the long march home. And it was probably only about a quarter of a mile, but like I said, to my little legs with the backpack and the lunch bag and everything, it felt like a long way. And on the way home, uh, it was always a question, you know, in your mind. You get off as this little kid and the world is just so big in this moment. Am I going to make it all the way home? Because there were all sorts of dangers on the way home. You know, they let us off and the very first house on the right on the, on the street was this two-story white house with cars on blocks in the front of it and like, you know, just trash and all, all sorts of stuff. And, and it was lived in by the, the name of the family. Uh, their name was the the Templetons. And my brother and I, if any of you are related, I'm sorry. Uh, they're wonderful people, I'm sure. But we got in fights all the time. I remember my dad, one of them coming down and, and, like, and like standing in a shouting match on my front porch with my dad because they had torn down our basketball goal. And like uh, they would come by and throw things at us when we were playing outside. They were all older uh, high schoolers or whatever when I was a little kid. So, so we would get off, off the bus and like run past that house, you know. But then right after that house, there was another house on the left who got a pit bull 
And it wasn't a friendly pit bull. It was a pit bull that I think eventually had to be put down because it attacked somebody. Like it was scary pit bull. And so we'd get past that house. And then on the way, there were just different kinds of, of dangers that lurked. Uh, it seemed like every time that we went down that street, just the sheer length of it was a difficult uh, deal. And then there was right, once we got all the way to the end, almost to my house, the, the house right next to our house on the left uh, was lived in by this retired couple who hated when we played in their beautiful yard. And, uh, and so they would yell at us all the time. And so I was probably a troublemaker. It was probably all my fault. But anyway, I'm walking through all these dangers, right? Not to mention the fact that if you got in a fight with any of the other kids, like that could have been difficult and all that kind of thing. And it wasn't just the dangers. There were all these temptations along the way too. You get off the bus, you've got this freedom, you know. I, my mom doesn't, I'm not home yet, nobody could tell me what to do. I get to walk down this street like a boss, you know. And, and, uh, and so you're walking down, maybe I'll, maybe I'll duck into my friend's house, the Hudson's, because they have power wheels and I don't, and maybe we can ride around on those, or they've got some great climbing trees, or maybe we'll stop by at my friend Brian's and play some softball or, or wiffle ball before I get home. And then there was always, right before we got to my house on the left, there was this, um, my left, your right, whatever. Uh, there was this dog named Lucky uh, that I think was blind, but it was this beautiful reddish, like I can't remember what it was, like German Shepherd kind of deal. And and uh, and I would feed, stop and feed this dog all of my uneaten lunch so I wouldn't get in trouble uh, before I got home and through the fence. And, uh, and then, but here's the thing. Uh, I always, always made it home always wanted to make it home, always knew that at the end of that long walk, there was a place where I belonged. A place where I was a member of the family, uh, where I would be cared for, where my mom would probably have some sort of snack <laughs> when I got there after I fed my food to the dog. Um, we always made it home. There never really was a thought walking down that street of going anywhere else because the goal was when you got off the bus, you went home. That's where you were going. We never thought about stopping short of that. Sometimes in Christianity, though, I think that we forget what all the way home looks like. Here's what I mean. Um, at times, we just lop it off of our theology altogether. We, we walk most of the way down the street, and then we just leave off the actual destination for where we're going. We do this by imagining that the great goal of God, the creator, is to take us to heaven when we die. And now, this is a wonderful part of the journey and a part of the story, but nobody in the Bible imagines that that is the end of the story. That God the creator would somehow forget about creation and somehow take us off to be with him somewhere else or something. Now, do, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. That's a big part of the story. In fact, John envisions what happens to people, to us, when we pass on and when we die, that we go to be with Jesus. And there are all sorts of scenes of the saints gathered around the throne of God, engaged in worship, but none of them imagine that that is the end of the story. There's another part of the story. It's not just about going up somewhere to heaven to be there with God for eternity. 
The goal is bigger than this. The goal in all of creation from the beginning to the end is about the restoration and renewal and recreation of all things. Resurrection, renewal, restoration, heaven and earth becoming one. That is all the way home. John envisions, and really the whole Bible with him, envisions a time where we're not just spiritually present with God, but when creation itself, including our bodies, are set free from the effects of sin. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. Uh, There's so many lines from that as it is in heaven that was uh, catching me up in this, this idea that, that heaven now lives in me. And that was a big part of the theology of the New Testament is that we have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. So a part of heaven, God's presence himself comes and lives in us and among us and with us as we wait for that that final day uh, where heaven and earth become one and the, the resurrection and the new creation and all of these things take place. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter eight. He writes about how really it's not just us that are longing for getting all the way home, but all of the created realm longs in a way for being released from the curse, released from the effects of sin, released from the fall, and being redeemed and restored and renewed in the presence of God the way that God originally intended and envisioned creation to be. All of creation, Paul says, is yearning and groaning. In fact, let me read a couple of verses for you about this. Romans chapter eight, verses 22 through 24. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. This is what's going on here that God has placed his spirit in us, but that's not the end. And, and when we die and go to be with God, that's not the end either. There is an end. And in, in, in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, John treats us to a vision of what the end is going to be like. Just a, just a little bit, just a, a little glimpse, a little vision, but it's clear enough that it begins to pull our hearts towards wanting to be there, wanting to get all the way home. I wanna read to you Revelation chapter 21, verses one through three, and then we're just gonna walk through uh, some of the beautiful scenery that he lays out. John says, then I saw a new heaven And a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So John begins to see all sorts of things. And there are several things that he sees in Revelation 21 and 22. And I want to talk about for a minute what he sees. And and in other words, what is present there? 
when we get all the way home. First off, he mentions a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. There's a continuity involved with it. There's a recreation. It's not like God totally scraps one. There's a, some sort of supernatural recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. There is then this holy city. It's the same thing, but it's described with several different languages. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, it's also called the bride of Christ. So this is what we're, we're talking about. The faithful people of God are pictured here as a city settling down, as a bride settling down in the middle of this new creation. And then he sees an angel who shows John what the bride looks like. Let me tell you a little bit about the bride or this heavenly city or the new Jerusalem. In verses 9 through 21, he sees this holy city coming down from heaven. It is radiating with the glory of God. Have you ever seen a bride on her wedding day and somebody say, you are glowing? They're glowing because of the love that is bouncing back and forth between the bride and her groom, right? This is, it's not the makeup, I mean, whatever, but like it's, it's, it's the love, that's what's, it's the glowing expression of the bride and that comes from the relationship and the love that's there between the bride and her groom. And then we're told that there are these 12 gates and 12 angels and 12 names of the apostles on all these gates and these are images that are to show us that God is finally, as all the prophets had foretold, restoring the fullness of his people. Every time we see 12 or 144,000 or whatever in the New Testament, really, but especially in Revelation, we are to see God fulfilling his promises to gather his people together in his presence. And then we see uh, John is told to go out and measure the city. And of course, it's 144,000 different uh, measurements. And these perfect measurements, it's measured to perfection. The tribes are restored and it's made of jewels that the ancient high priest used to wear on his chest plate that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. These aren't just random jewels here. These are representing the people of God. We're told that there's a, there's a throne in the center of all of this and there is God and his lamb who are seated on it. And out of this uh, throne, there's light that's coming out of God and the lamb for the new creation. We're told that kings and nations are bringing into the city the glory and the honor of the nations. Have you ever thought about this before? That in the new creation, all of the good things that actual physical worldly kingdoms and kings and, and cultures have developed, languages and beauty and all of, the, all of the good things that have developed to the glory of God, bring those things into the new creation with them. And we all get to enjoy all of these wonderful things that God's people have created together. And then we find that John sees that there are these gates all over the city, but they're open all day long, which is crazy because when you had a city, you had to protect it. But if they're open all day long, that means something else is absent. And we'll get to what is missing in the new creation here in a minute. But these gates are open all day long. There's a river of water. And it's the water, we're told, of life. And it proceeds from the throne and it flows out through the center 
of the new creation. And everyone is free to drink from it. And on either side, try and picture this, on either side of the river of life that's flowing through the city, there is a tree. (laughs) The tree of life. And it yields 12 different kinds of fruit, one for every month, and everyone is free to go and eat from it as they please. Do you remember the curse? When we chose to sin and we chose to eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and and try and place ourselves in the role of God and on equal with God, and God said, now you can't eat from the tree of life. We can't have this. And here, here is finally the life that is given back, that is planted back into creation. And this tree not only yields fruit, but it, leaves, it, it has leaves. And these leaves are for the healing of the nations. All that has been wounded All that has gone wrong, all that has landed in a ditch in every nation, the leaves of the tree of life serve as this sort of balm, the sort of healing uh, bandage, if you will. This tree of life, man, it's beautiful. What a picture. What a picture, right? It's new, but there are signs of continuity. There are still kings and nations, and they show up and bring the best of what they've made before God, and they're healed in the process. In the new creation, we see all of God's promises kept. We see a return to God's vision for creation as the peace-filled, glory-filled, God-filled creation takes center stage and life is literally flowing through the center of this new creation. Now, I said uh, all of these things John sees, but there are things that John doesn't see as well. And I think those are almost as important, you know? There are things that, that don't end up entering into the new creation. And again, almost as important If we go on past verse three and we read verse four, we find these words. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now we can go through the rest of these couple of chapters and and find all the other things that John says, I don't see this here or that's not here or this doesn't belong in the new creation. Let me just give you a list. We see tears. Uh, and In fact, there's this weird thing that I've always, not weird, but there's this notion I've always um, just grabbed my attention. I don't know fully what to do with it necessarily, but let me just kind of riff on this for just a minute. Uh, it's not that tears aren't in the new creation. It's that God wipes them away. And I I think that a part of that is that God doesn't say, you can't bring any of that brokenness in here. This is a whole place that we come into the presence of God with our wounds and with our tears. And when we come into the presence of God, the beatitudes begin to take place. And those who mourn are comforted. 
and those who are sick are made whole and all of these things. We come in to the new creation and God begins to wipe his hands over all of our hurts and our brokenness and our pain and these things are healed and comforted and made whole. There's no more death. There's no more mourning with a U. <laughs> there's no more crying, thank goodness, because I do this all the time. Uh, there's, <coughs> there's no more pain. Uh, there's no more former things because they have passed away. There's no more, this is said multiple times, there's no more night. There's no more night. So remember when I said the gates were open all day long? I really meant all the time because the only thing that exists is day. So the gates are always open because there is also no threat from any kind of evil anymore. And so the gates are able to be open all the time because there is no threat of anything uh, that harms the people of God or God's vision for the creation um, that he is sitting in the center of giving light to it. There's also no temple anymore, which used to serve as this like place where heaven meets earth because they have finally come together. And it's not the place where you go to meet God because God fills all things now. So there's no need for a temple. There's also no need for a sun or a moon to give light because God God is the light in the center of this world. There is, there's also, John a couple of times goes off on a little list. And he says, listen, there are some people who've chosen to practice certain kinds of things and those things don't belong in the new creation anymore. And so those who practice, and this is just a list from John here, those who practice sin, and by the way, sin itself uh, is not going to be around here. But those who practice sin, uh, he talks about the cowards and the faithless. And by that, he means those Christians or those people who have refused to persevere in the face of persecution all the way through. The detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral the sorcerers, the liars and the idolaters will not be there in the new creation. Also, the unclean and those who practice falsehood. So we find that all of these things just don't exist anymore in the new creation, have, don't have a place in the new creation. And then we read in chapter 22, verse 3, this beautiful line. The last thing that's missing is the curse. No longer, no longer will there be any curse. Other translations say no longer will there be anything accursed. The curse has been destroyed and removed in the new creation. Everything related to the curse, the whole reason that creation was longing and groaning and that we were praying along with the Spirit for God to finally redeem and restore the world, is that is all moved aside and dealt with. Our hope as Christians isn't rooted in enduring this hard, broken world until God brings us to heaven someday. 
It's that Christ overcomes the broken world and makes all things new. And the people of God, the bride, the, Christ, the bride of Christ are right at the center of the scene for all of eternity. That is where we're headed. That is all the way home. Not a couple houses short, but all the way home. That is where our hearts belong and what we were made for. And then the revelation, guys, closes with this vision. Uh, and I, I'm gonna move off my notes here because I think that this time around preaching through Revelation has been the most powerful thing and I wanna try and communicate what it's done to me. It's like at the very end of Revelation, we've had all these cosmic battles like Avengers, Infinity War kinds of like scenes, right? And then actually that's a pretty good uh, analogy because at the end of all the Avengers movies, uh, you have like these battles, these crazy things, Iron Man shooting all, all kinds of stuff. And then the scenes go black, the credits roll, and then if you watch these, what happens? All the people who sat in the movie theater all the extra time get to see a final cut scene, right? And the final scene is usually, it's like they're previewing what comes next or whatever, but it's usually like uh, one guy with another guy from the next movie and it's just two of them chatting and all of the fighting is gone and the wars are gone or whatever and it's just a couple of people talking. Revelation closes, forgive me, uh, in a similar way. <laughs> All of the fighting is done. We've seen the scene of the new creation. And it's like everything, like, like you're at a stage and all the curtains go down and everything goes to black and one spotlight just comes up and John is sitting there by himself after having seen all these things and an angel joins him. And then we hear a voice. And if you have one of those Bibles with the fancy red letters, that's the only way to read Revelation 22 because uh, the voice isn't, uh, we're not told who the voice is. It just like happens, right? But it's Christ, it's Jesus. And he says, behold. You see, imagine this in your mind, John, angel, and then a voice. And the voice says, behold, I am coming soon and I'm bringing my reward with me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. John, whoa, you know? He gets some instructions from the angel and then uh, about, the, about the words and the book of the prophecy and everything and then we hear the voice again and it, it comes and speaks uh, to us again. Uh, what's he say here? Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me and then, uh, yeah, uh, talks about Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And then we're told that the spirit and the bride say, come, come. Sarah, can we black those scriptures out for just a minute? I wanna talk about the scripture right before that. The spirit and the bride say come. This is verse 17. And this is one of the things that has been so powerful to me. You've got John here, angel here, the voice of Christ coming and saying, I'm coming, I'm coming back. I'm coming soon, be ready. And then the bride, which is us, the response, and this is what John is wanting us to pray as we get to the end of Revelation. Come, Jesus, come. But then this is the beautiful thing. It's not just the bride who's speaking from this side. It's also the spirit. 
And you get this picture of Christ who's seated on the throne at the right hand of God, but he has given us his spirit as the first fruits. And the spirit has put on the boots in the middle of the muck and whatever it is that we're trudging through and sits right next to the bride and links up arms and says, we're going there. And he's coming, and in the meantime, I'm going to sit here in it with you, and the heaven that I am is going to sit down in the middle of it with you. And so the very end of the scene of Revelation, you've got Christ speaking, and the Spirit of God together with the bride saying, I'm praying with you here. Come on back, Jesus. I got him. We're coming home. Come on. We are not alone as we wait. The bride is being held, is being filled, is being prepared by the Spirit who prays for us, intercedes with us, translates our groaning, that's also in Romans chapter eight, uh, to the Father as we don't, can't even find the words. The Spirit gives us the words. So maybe that's why the Spirit and the bride say, come. And then Jesus responds, it's okay, surely. I'm coming soon. And here's almost how the Bible ends. I'm going to wait for how the Bible ends until I give you a blessing. But this is our prayer. Can we pray it together, actually? Uh, One, two, three. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to invite those who are going to help us to sing. uh, Come forward. And uh, if you'd pray with me. God, we thank you for this incredible gift of the book of Revelation. Thank you for John and his faithfulness in writing it. Thank you for giving him the grace to be able to see and hear a picture of home. We recognize that that's where we belong. It's what we are made for. It's, uh, it's what our hearts and minds and bodies and all of creation along with us is yearning and longing for. And so God, let us not stop short of home. Let the vision of home inspire us and encourage us to be faithful and to remain yours all the way to the end. And God, we trust that you will be faithful to your promises. That you will return for your bride. And uh, we thank you for your spirit who sits down in the middle of it with us as we wait. And we say, come Lord Jesus, in his name, amen. Would you stand? We're gonna sing a song that Ashley and I